begin by reading the opening verses of Joshua chapter 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. Unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. All right, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come now with our Bibles open to consider some great truths from thy word that thou hast revealed to us. Instruct us and help us, Lord, to fulfill the duties that thou hast given to us as thy people, that we might indeed see the going forth of thy truth right across this world. So help us, give us thy guidance and our understanding. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the theme that we are considering broadly is advancing uh, the kingdom. A month or so ago, I gave a general overview of the book of Joshua that's going to be the foundation for our discussion. There are some of these outlines. Anybody need one of these? It's been a long time since we've been here. Anybody yeah. else need one? Yeah. There you go. All right, I say last time when we started this, I just gave a broad overview of some of the key themes in the book of Joshua that will be reiterated as we look at some of these specifics. But my theme basically is advancing the kingdom. And the book of Joshua, as we have the story of the conquest of the promised land, really becomes for us a paradigm, a pattern, as to how we are to see the advancing of the kingdom of Christ in our day. And I think there are some very important lessons for us uh, here to learn. So we'll see how far we can go. I think I'm scheduled to come back here the last two Sundays of November, so I'll be gone next week, but then we'll try to finish this up 
as we have time. Now remember that Israel had come now to the brink of a new time in their history. They had been delivered by Moses and the Lord's power and the blood of the sacrifice uh, from the land of Egypt. They were on their way to the promised land, but because of their unbelief, remember, when the spies went in, uh, they did not enter in, and now for the last 40 years, uh, they were wandering around in the desert. But those weren't wasted days, for even in the desert, the Lord demonstrated his faithfulness to them. In the wilderness, the Lord showed them what it was to worship him in spirit and in truth. You had the whole tabernacle economy uh, that came into existence during that wilderness time. So it was a time of religious learning, but uh, I say it was not wasted time. But now Moses is dead and Joshua, the new leader of the people, has been given a new responsibility, a new charter from the Lord now to bring the people actually into the land of promise, that land that was flowing with milk and honey, but nonetheless a land that was filled with enemies those Canaanite nations that were stronger, more experienced in warfare uh, than Israel was for sure. And that's where they had to go. That's where they had to possess the possession that God had given to them. And I say the entrance into the land, uh, beginning the conquest, is a paradigm, a pattern for us, not only in regard to our own individual lives as we fight against the sin uh, in our battle for sanctification, but also for the larger picture of what the Lord has in store for his church. So there's two principal lessons that I want us to learn as we consider then something of this conquest of the land and the advancing of the kingdom. First of all, you can see this on the outline then, that every advance depends on God, and secondly, every advance depends on us. In our sanctification, there is going to be a cooperation between what God does and what we do in response to what God has done. If you think of the very definition of sanctification in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, right, that's what God does, and then we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness, that's what we do. Uh, and we saw some of that in the message today from Romans chapter 6, the dying to sin and the living to righteousness. Sanctification is not just a, some kind of a divine zap that makes us as holy as we're going to be, uh, it's a daily struggle. It's a daily struggle against the sin. And we see that certainly in the land of Canaan as Joshua was about to take Israel into that promised land. God had promised, and this is the first thing that I want us to see, that as we realize then that God is working, it's based upon the promise that God has given that guarantees the victory. You go back to Deuteronomy in chapter 7 particularly, as Moses anticipated the people coming into the land. And he names those seven nations that were stronger and mightier than they. Uh, but the Lord says, I'm going to drive them out. I am going to drive them out. 
And now, therefore, you go and drive them out. And so you see both of those ideas uh, that are brought together once again. God's promise that guaranteed the victory, but then the exercise of faith that had to act in the light of and on the basis of what God had promised. So here is, and even in the text that we've read today, uh, you're going to go into this land, and I am giving it to them, to the children of Israel. Every place that you walk, I'm going to give to you. But they had to enter in and do the walking. So God had promised. And it was an interesting promise. And it says something to us, I think, about the nature of the promises of God to begin with. Uh, This promise of a land was first given uh, to Abraham in that Abrahamic covenant when uh, the Lord came to Abraham and promised him a seed that ultimately would be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, promised him that he would be a blessing among all the nations of the world, and promised him a land, a land that was going to be flowing with milk and honey. That was 600 years uh, before we come to the episode in which the people are now actually going to enter into that land. So a promise was in place for 600 years. First given to Abraham, a promise as repeated then to Isaac and to Jacob, never fulfilled in the way that God had expressed, God told Abraham that this land from the Euphrates all the way to the river of Nile, Egypt, is going to be your land. Uh, Abraham never experienced that. And Jacob and Isaac never experienced that. But it was the promise of God. And now Moses comes. And the people had been uh, in slavery now in Egypt in bondage for 400 odd years or so. Uh, and now the time would come. Now the time had come. But even then it was delayed because the people and their unbelief rejected the promise basically and wandered around in the desert. But now, but now, here's this promise. Here is this promise that is on the very eve of fulfillment that God is going to bring them in to this land. Now, I don't have time, I suppose, in this discussion to uh, get into the whole theology of the land promise. Uh, but it's fundamental really in Old Testament theology. Uh, The whole history of the prophets, right, are surrounding this promise of the land. Uh, For the Lord had said, this land will be your land so long as you obey the covenant, so long as you don't go whoring after other gods. This land is your land. But as soon as you break the covenant, as soon as you go whoring after other gods, then you're going to be expelled from this land. And that's the history of Israel. Uh, in Joshua's time, they are entering into the land faithful, and they're going to see the victories that God is giving. But it wasn't long. It wasn't long before they broke the covenant. It wasn't long before they went a-whoring after other gods. And the prophets now are warning them. You either repent or you're out. Uh, and it wasn't long before they were out, uh, as the Lord used, first of all, the Assyrians to get rid of uh, Israel, the northern kingdom. And then later Babylon to get rid of the southern kingdom as far as their entrance in the land is concerned. You you could only be in the land. There was something about this land. You could only be in the land uh, if you were faithful to God, if you kept the covenant, kept the commandments, and so forth. Uh, A great theology uh, of the land. I I don't know. Do you all all get the, uh, what do you call it, table talk? Do you get table talk? 
uh, in last month's issue of Table Talk, I had an article there dealing on, on the kingdom, and, I, uh, and they asked me to write on the land aspect, how that relates to the kingdom. Uh, so, you know, find Table Talk, and Sanders got a, how many, you got 14, 15 copies of that? I don't know. <laughs> Say what? Whenever it was, it was the last issue, right? Whatever. Uh, it's, on, it's, on the, it's on the land. Uh, <laughs> ask Sanders, she knows uh, when, when it is. But that, that will help you understand some of the foundation foundation here. Uh, great component. But it, it was so, the, the promise on the one hand, you see, was unconditional. It was unconditional. God guaranteed that this land was going to belong to his people. But nonetheless, the individual experience of and the individual participation of that depended upon their obedience. Uh, conditional for individual participation, but in the overall scheme of God's purpose for his people, this land is your land. And now that's the promise. That's the promise that God had given. And we relate that then to the promise of uh, the Lord Jesus in regard to, uh, in regard to the church. Uh, what, what did Jesus say uh, in response to Peter's uh, confession there? Um, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church and not even the gates of hell will withstand, will prevail against the advancing of the church. Uh, I've I've heard that verse sometimes explained that, you know, that the church can withstand the advance of hell. No, 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 no. The, The gates are the defensive mechanisms. The gates weren't for offense. The gates were for defense. And Jesus is saying that I'm going to build my church and not even the gates of hell can stand against it. Uh, And every one of you here today that are believers are evidence of that. Uh, As you are, we are brands that have been plucked from the burning. And here's the church and it's advancing against the very stronghold of hell itself. Now that's the promise of Christ. That's the promise of Christ. He's going to build his church. He's going to build his church and I'm optimistic I'm optimistic in regard to what that's going to look like. But as we look at where we are at any given time, it seems as though the church is floundering. Uh, It seems so often that there's a hard way to go and the church is not growing. Look at the day in which we live. There's darkness and there's vitriol and there's hatred, there's hostility uh, to the church of Christ. They're trying to put us down at every place and every, uh, every point. It seems as though uh, that the, that hell is willing, hell is winning. But here's the promise. Here's the promise that is unbreakable, unconditional. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and not even the gates of hell can withstand it. And we have to rely upon that promise. Here's the challenge of faith. Here's the challenge of faith that we must, on the light of the promise that God has given to us, go forward. So that's one way we depend upon God. Then we give attention to the acts of God, that God works in various ways to accomplish his purpose and to keep his word. And the book of Joshua gives us such a beautiful demonstration of this. Sometimes I say his works are obvious. Sometimes his works are obvious. Not always the same. God doesn't always work the same way. Sometimes his works are unexpected, contrary to expectation, but he works. And there were some things that God did in the book of Joshua, right, that were absolutely, unmistakably uh, the work of God. Very first place they go, they cross the Jordan. Even that was miraculous, right? They crossed the Jordan on, 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 the, dry, on the dry ground. 
uh, and facing them, as soon as they crossed the Jordan, was Jericho. Uh, and Jericho was a magnificent city, one of the oldest cities, some thought to be one of the oldest cities on the face of the earth. Uh, and at this time, it was fortified. Uh, like all the cities were in, in Canaan at that time, fortified cities, uh, walls that uh, were as high as the heaven. And how in the world, how in the world were they going to get past Jericho? Here's the first obstacle to their possessing their possession, to their possessing the land that God had promised uh, for them. To understand this completely, you know, put, put it in the context of what Canaan, Canaan was at this time. Uh, remember, there were seven nations more, God said, are in here, nations greater than you are. There was no centralized government. There was no centralized government. Uh, it, well, there wasn't a capital city of Canaan that Joshua could have gone against and that would have settled the whole. No, all of these were, it, it consisted of independent city-states. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I, I would read, you know, Joshua would talk about the mayor or, or, or the king of Jericho. We would talk about the king of Hatzor, the king of Lachish, the king of Hebron, the king. And it's, ah, that, that must be the way they talked about mayors. I thought they were mayors or something. But no, they were kings. All of these were independent kingdoms that were constantly fighting against themselves to get a little more territory. And the fact that one city fell meant absolutely nothing to the next city. There was always, if I can put it in the, there was always an eye that followed Jericho, right? Uh, and it meant nothing. And, but I say these cities were fortified, all these big walls. And, and the typical way of warfare was to lay siege against one of those cities uh, and cut off the supply chain, right? Uh, starve them out. Start, but that would, they'd have supplies in there because this was, part, this was typical warfare, so they had supplies in there that would last for who knows how long. It would take a year or more uh, normally to, uh, to lay siege. Remember even when Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem, he was sieged the city for a year uh, before it finally fell. So how long? How long would the conquest take? All right, you, you, you go, you take your army, and you surround the city. You make sure nobody goes in, nobody goes out. Uh, you, you start, and then finally they will surrender because they're starving to death or something. And you finally get, conquer that one. Then you've got to go to the next one and do the same thing. Go to the next one and do the same thing. Next one and do the same thing. Go forever. So what does God do? Here's how you're going to conquer Jericho. I want you to get your people, get a few of your army there, and, and you march around it. You, you march around it every day, once a day for seven days, and then on the last day, you march around it seven times, you blow your horn and see what happens. And they did that. All they did was march around the city. The last day, they marched around the city seven times, blow their horn, and the wall, a portion of that wall, uh, a portion of that wall just sunk uh, into the ground. I know we have the old spiritual, yeah, that Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Uh, and the walls came tumbling down. It's a nice tune, but it's not really accurate. All right? First of all, Joshua didn't fight it. God fought it. All right? God fought it, and the walls did not come tumbling down. All, But there was a portion of the wall 
a portion of the wall that it was just like, it was just like, I can prove this exegetically, I don't have time. It's like he, Joshua went up, pushed a button on the elevator and it just sunk right down in the ground and all the rest of the wall city became that which captured the inhabitants, they couldn't leave, uh, and the armies just marched straight ahead. It, 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 it was a miracle, right? It was a miracle, uh, a supernatural demonstration of God's power, obvious, obvious. So here's the very first obstacle, the very first obstacle. And God does something stupendous. God does something absolutely stupendous, miraculous, supernatural uh, to destroy uh, this city. And that word spread, all right, that word spread. Uh, our, our, our walls don't mean anything to these people. Uh, our, our, our defensive mechanism doesn't do anything to these people. Uh, all they have to do is come to our city, march around and blow a horn, and, and that's it for us. It only happened one time, though, you see. Jer there was only one Jericho. All the other instances had to be fought normally, except, and here's, here's why Jericho. This, this is amazing. When you realize you get all these independent city-states, right, uh, everyone standing on its own, hating the guy next ne next door to him. They were they they were enemies with themselves. But what happened after Jericho? Oh, there was I, and we remember what happened to I, and that's an important lesson as well. We'll get to that maybe someday. But these people that were enemies of themselves among themselves said, you know, our our, our cities don't mean, our, our our walls don't mean anything, and so they. They allied themselves together. And you had these alliances. You have all these people now that were experienced in warfare, who fought all the time, now coming together, allying themselves together against Joshua and his armies. Now, my guess is, my guess is that when Israel heard about this alliance, and when Israel heard now that all of these peoples were gathering together and they're going to fight against us, that it scared them to death. My guess is that they were intimidated, they were scared. What did they know about warfare? They didn't know anything about warfare. Uh, and here were the chariots of iron and people that fought all the time, and now they are congregating together outside. And they came against Israel. But where did they come? They got out of their cities. Yeah, they got out of their cities, and now in a battle in the open field. How many nations were there? Five, six, seven nations, uh, cities that came together there. And in one day, in one day, Israel was now able to conquer all of those cities that would have taken years, 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 years uh, to lay siege against, and in one battle. In one day. Now, it took some hail coming down from heaven to do it. It took the sun and the moon standing still to do it. Another supernatural manifestation, but no mistaking that God was doing this. But God was doing this. But what an amazing thing that is. I say it had to be a fearful thing. But God was operating here, and God, put, God hardened their hearts to come together now out of their cities... And in one battle, able to advance the kingdom in a way that would have taken years and years and years uh, to do. So I'm saying sometimes, sometimes 
the works of God are obvious. Now, we're not living in a day of the supernatural. Uh, we're not living in a day where miracles are, are taking place. But nonetheless, we can see the hand of God. We can see the hand of God here and the hand of God there that unmistakably, uh, God is working. God is empowering. God is calling his ministers and empowering his churches uh, to see the advancing of the uh, cause of Christ, uh, direct uh, intervention. The time changed today, but not enough, all right? <laughs> not enough for us. Uh, yeah, we'll have to stop there, otherwise you'll not let me come back. Uh, so, sometimes his work are preemptive. Uh, I'll just make that statement, we'll pick it up there next time. He sent the horns before them, right? Remember, he sent the horns before them. And these horns, whatever they were, whatever they were, and we'll talk about that, were able to do something before Israel even got there, all right? To fight against the people. So God, I say, every advance depends, first of all, upon God. All right, we'll come back to it. Our dear Lord, we give thanks for thy word and the instruction, Lord, you instruct us in so many different ways. We heard today a text that was uh, theologically deep, didactic, and now we're looking at an Old Testament narrative where we have a story before us, but the truths are the same and the truths are rich and deep for us and we would ask, Lord, that we would see what it is uh, to truly live in the way where we can possess our possessions, to possess our own possessions that we have because of what Christ has done. So help us in these thoughts the next couple times that we have to meet together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.